Well, hello, Westside, and everybody watching online and all our podcast peeps. My name is Adam, and it's my joy to be your senior pastor here at First United Methodist Church. I want to start with a game, and the game is called Over Under. So here's how it works. I'm going to name a fact or a figure, and if you think reality is more than that figure, you'll guess over. And if it's less, you'll say under. So for example, uh, if the prompt was the Chiefs are going to win 13 games this year, right? If you think they'll win more than 13, you would say over. And if you think they'll win less than 13, first, what's wrong with you? But then you would say under. So all of these prompts I'm going to list are things that have to do with time and how much of our lives we spend doing stuff. All right, here we go. Over a lifetime, people will spend an average of 28 years asleep. Do you think that's over or under reality? On average, reality is under. The study I looked at said that the number is 26 years. 26 years of your life, over your lifetime, asleep. Over a lifetime, people will spend an average of three years eating. Think we do more than that? or less. Results are over. The number is actually 4.4 total years eating. All right, let's get weird, people. Over a lifetime, people will spend 85 days going to the bathroom. I'm gonna give you a moment to deliberate on that. Just let the awkwardness linger. (laughs) The number is over. It's actually 92, and I'm pretty sure that number goes up once you have children, (laughs) right? The bathroom, a shelter from the storm. Okay, last one. Over the course of a year, people will spend 10 days over the course of their life, a total of the amount of 10 days getting ready in the morning. And that answer is under. The study I looked at said the number is 7.6 days on average someone will spend getting ready over the course of their life. So we got to eat, we got to sleep, the body has to function, we have to look presentable. A lot of our time is already accounted for. So what do we do with the rest? There's work and family and bills and kid stuff and on and on and on. And so when you catch up with somebody, you run into them at Price Chopper or whatever, and you say, hey, how's it been going? Usually the response sounds something like, oh, Oh, it's been so busy, crazy busy, right? Why do we do that? Well, I, I, think, I think the reasons we, we seem to be so busy, the reason that portion of our life that's, that's left open for us to decide what to do with is usually so full is for a couple reasons. It's more than just what our bodies need and what our culture expects of us. I think for the reason that we're so busy, we need to look deeper within, So here are three reasons I think we're busy. And the first one is pride. Sometimes it feels good to be needed, right? And so if somebody asks us to do something, we want to say yes, because we want to help. Uh, As long as I'm busy, I'm in demand. And if I'm in demand, I have a purpose. I must be important because I'm needed. So pride can be a reason that we're busy uh, because we like it that way. The second reason we could be busy is that we're passive. We let other people dictate our schedules for us. We learn in school that we should have a lot of activities on our college application to be able to get into a good school, so we do a lot of stuff. 
Uh, our coach tells us that we need more reps in the batting cages or, 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 or shooting goals. And, and so we spend extra time uh, getting better in, in our other pursuits. The pastor tells us we should do more church activities so we could be a good Christian. And on and on it goes. Our boss tells us we should go to conferences or stay after hours or work on the weekends in order to get ahead. On and on it goes. We let other people dictate our schedules, our priorities. And that leads us to our third one, which is our priorities. A lot of worthwhile things require time. What we make time for reflects what we believe is important. And there are seasons in life where there's a lot of things that are important. And then we end up with conflicting priorities, these two good things that are hard to choose between. I think this is one of the hardest things to navigate in life. The choice between two good things. How do we prioritize them? Last month, I had a buddy invite me to a Royals game, which is cool, but it wasn't just any Royals game. It was the Royals-Cardinals series. I'm a Cards fan, if we haven't been over that. I'm sorry. <laughs> 1985, I know, I know. Spare me. Uh, so this wasn't just any Cards-Royals series. He even had, like, VIP box seat tickets Right, sit up in the fancy seats with, with food and, and the sweet uh, recliners and stuff. Oh, it was going to be awesome. But here's the thing, because who wouldn't want to go to that? But it happened to be the night before my son started kindergarten. Now, I didn't have to think too long about it, but it's pretty obvious the choice I made. I wouldn't be telling the story in a sermon if I had chosen to go to the game, right? I was going to be with my boy the night before school starts. And even though the game would have been awesome, my friend totally understood that my son took priority. He totally got it when I told him, no, no, nah, man, I can't go to the game. I would have loved to. In our series, Magic Words, we've been looking at the power of language. And how could our lives change if our language began to change? How could life be different if we spoke differently? Today's magic word is one of the shortest in the English language. It is the antidote to busyness, and it is the defender of our priorities. The magic word is no. And what I hope we'll discover together this morning is that saying no allows us to say yes to what matters most. In our scripture today, we're going to discover a character we can sympathize with because they're trying to choose between two good things. They've got two competing priorities. Her name is Martha, and she and her sister are hosting Jesus for dinner. No, no pressure, right? Who's coming over for dinner? Oh, the Son of God. I need to get some things ready. Martha's society expected a lot of things from her as the host and as a woman, and she takes one approach to this situation, while her sister Mary takes a different approach. So we'll be reading from Luke 10, verses 38 through 42. Luke is one of the Gospels. That's a word that simply means good news. And these are the four biographies of Jesus that talk about, that describe, that, that give us a picture of his life and death and resurrection. So we're going to be reading from the 10th chapter of Luke, and we'll start with verse 38. Now as they went on their way, he, that's Jesus, entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. This is how Jesus operated. He didn't set up shop at some hotel. There was no we work space. He visited in people's homes. He would go to town and preach after settling at a generous host's home. 
And Martha was, was just such a host who we're going to learn more about as we read on. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. So that Martha owns her own home actually tells us quite a bit about her. Um, she may have never been married or she might have been widowed. We don't know if Martha lived with her sister, but we can see that Mary takes a very different approach welcoming Jesus than Martha did. Mary is found sitting at Jesus' feet, maybe in the dining area or outside, and two social expectations are being violated at once here. This is a very big deal. Mary is with the male guests instead of preparing dinner. And as crude as this seems to us now, that's the expectation uh, that Mary would have been preparing dinner back in the first century in, in the time of Jesus. Now add to that fact that not only was Mary a woman among men, but that Jesus was even teaching her, treating her the same as the other guests. Mary sat at Jesus' feet. She assumed a posture of learning. This was the position of a disciple, one who learns from a master. This would have been unheard of for a woman. In the first century, the expectation would have been for Mary to be taking care of the home and doing all the hosting things. Now, perhaps Mary's sister Martha kind of heard her voice among the other dinner guests listening to Jesus. Maybe she saw Mary as she was kind of passing through the doorway, getting things ready. However Martha discovered her sister, verse 40 tells us that she was not happy. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him, Jesus, and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. I insert an exclamation mark here. There's a period in the Bible, but that's how I read it. Tell her to help me. Jesus, you see what's going on? Tell her to do something. Now, before we put Martha on blast for complaining to Jesus, I think we need to put some things in perspective. Martha, as the woman of the house, had certain expectations, right? She, she, had, she had kind of a pattern that society told her she should follow. Being the host, it would have been her responsibility to provide the guests with a meal. Honor and duty and hospitality were extremely important values in the first century. Very important to, to the cultural expectations of the ancient Near East. These were very real concerns. Like somebody's got to plug in the crock pot, right? There was things to do. We should empathize with Martha. She's doing her best to live up to the expectations of her. And she's showing her devotion to Jesus by serving him. And the many folks he would have surely had in his company. This would have been a large party. We're not talking just two or three folks. Martha appears to be insulted by her sister shirking her duties, and she gets so worked up that she chastises not only her sister Mary, but also Jesus in front of the other guests. Like, she's kind of making a scene here. And I imagine the dinner maybe got a little awkward at that moment, but we see now Jesus' response in verse 41, and so often, like he does, it's a gracious response. This is what Jesus says to her. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. I, I kind of hear almost a soothing tone in Jesus' voice, right, with the repetition of Martha's first name. All she was trying to do was provide a nice evening. But according to Jesus, she was distracted by many things. And he sides with Mary, who he says has done the one thing. 
I've spent lots of time wondering what, what's this one thing that Jesus describes? What's the one thing that's more important than any other thing? What's the one thing that is necessary? There was another time in, in scripture that Jesus dropped the one thing bomb. There was a man who came to him, a wealthy young ruler, and he came to Jesus and asked, hey, what do I need to do to get into heaven? And, and Jesus replied, and he's like, yeah, I, I, do, I do all that, great, so I, I should be good to go, right? And this is what Jesus tells him in Mark 10. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, one thing you lack. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. You know, it's the same deal. Jesus is like, you're getting warmer, but you're still not quite, not quite there. Here's the one thing that you're missing. One thing you lack, he tells the rich young man. And that sounds a lot like what he told Martha. Only one thing is necessary. What is the one thing? Loving Jesus more than you love anything else. That's the one thing. Loving Jesus more than you love anything else. The rich young ruler loved his stuff more than Jesus. Martha getting everything ready, doing all the stuff, actually loved serving Jesus more than she loved spending time with Jesus. While Martha was checking the pot roast, Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. While Martha labored for Jesus, Mary was listening to Jesus. If you're gonna say yes to Jesus, then you have to say no to something else. And the problem is we get so entangled saying yes to so many things that don't last. Like Martha, we're worried about many things and are you sure they matter as much as, as we think they do? Or are they things that can be taken away that are ultimately insignificant? Full disclosure, I got a D in geometry in 10th grade. You know when the last time somebody asked me about that was? That would be never. Never, it's never come up. Think back to the car you drove 10 years ago. Where's that status symbol now? What about all the people in the office you care so much about impressing? How much have the faces changed over the last year? Are all the weekend tournaments, the money spent on gear, the merciless mandatory practices, is it worth all that it costs our children to be so committed to sports? Friends, I'm here to tell you, if your sports or your grades or your salary replaces your faith, then they are not worth it. I don't care what school you get into, what golf course you can afford to play on, or, or how much you give to this church with all the money you make. If you love anything more than Jesus, then you are in danger because all of those things can be taken away. They're temporary. Now I'm not saying don't try hard at school or work hard. Students, this is the portion of the sermon where you have to listen to the whole thing. Pastor Adam said no one cares, he got a D. Well, my parents cared and I cared as a result of that. All I'm saying is we have to keep our priority on Jesus and everything else will fall into place. Jesus himself said it like this, Matthew 6, 33, strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. All right, so, so what does it actually look like to say no to some things so that we can say yes to the one thing? 
to love Jesus more than anything else? How can we say no in order to say yes to what matters most? What should take priority? What should we say yes to? We can grow in love of Jesus and in our discipleship and our spiritual growth by using what John Wesley called the means of grace. These are the things we do to grow in our relationship with God. According to Wesley, there's individual means of grace, things we do sort of on our own or as an individual, like prayer and scripture, abstinence or what we would call fasting, you know, intentionally denying yourself of, of certain things for a certain period of time. There are also means of grace we pursue together, like worship, mercy. That's what we would, we would call serving. And, 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 and conferencing was Wesley's word. That's what we would call a small group. Now you might think to yourself, man, when am I gonna find the time to do all that? Well, somehow I find the time to set my fantasy football lineup every week and, and be aware of like all the injury situations on every team. So it's a matter of priority, friends. Mary said no to some of the norms and expectations of her culture in order to prioritize Jesus. Saying no keeps us from thinking that we're absolutely necessary. And when we say no, we're affirming that somehow the world will keep turning without us being involved in something. Saying no also keeps us from just passively letting everyone else dictate our schedule. Author Eugene Peterson one of my favorite pastors I look up to, he talks about the power of the calendar. He says, it's the one thing everyone in our society accepts without dispute as authoritative. The trick, of course, is to get to the calendar before anyone else does. So we have to set our priorities and use the magic word no to protect them. And so I wanna thank you for making worship a priority. That's why you're experiencing this message in the first place. So you're already well on your way. I, all, I know that there is a lot of other things we all could be doing with our time. I'm aware of that and I wanna thank you for making worship a priority. I hope you'll also consider being a part of our discipleship pathways. That's a small group. We've got a whole slate of them where you can, you can huddle up with other people trying to grow closer to Christ as well. And you can find care and support. There's a great phrase that I heard from a pastor once, and he said, circles are better than rows. I can worship on Sunday morning, we all come together and, and we experience being in God's presence together. But it's very easy to walk in to, to this place and then leave and, and kind of just be anonymous. That's what happens when we sit in rows. But when we get into circles, you can find other people that you can serve and care and that can walk along your path with you and you for them. And if you're not already serving, Saturday, October 12th would be a great place to start. We're gonna have a serve day where we do a ton of stuff at our 92 campus and all throughout our community. So I'd encourage you to get involved in that. In a world that wants to turn us into a grumpy and frantic Martha, may we look to Mary as our example. She said no to allow her to say yes to what mattered most. May you have the courage to use the magic word no and the power of a prioritized calendar to experience God's presence through the means of grace. Let's pray. God, we confess this morning that, that we are worried and distracted by many things. And so we take a moment to lift those into your care. 
and to quiet our minds and our spirits on the one thing that matters most, loving you above all else. Help us to put you first in our lives. May our calendars reflect our devotion to you. Not so that we can withdraw from the world, but so that we can draw closer to you and and best represent you wherever we go. God, help us to have the courage to say no. Give us the wisdom to choose between sometimes competing values and, and two really good things, multiple really good things in order to do what would most honor you. We ask all these things in the name of your son, amen.